You're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, hello, hello to all the fans out there here in Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host. Speedy the Propeller PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. All you Islander fans, I'm sure you're jumping for joy because the Islanders are not losers today. So hopefully, as we move forward This Islander team will figure things out and start winning because this is absolutely ridiculous. Islander fans blaming Barry Trotz right now. It's ridiculous. We have a great show lined up for you guys today. We will be talking to fantasy pros, dynasty nerd, fantasy football writer, Garrett Price. Really, really good when it comes to fantasy sports, uh, especially football, college football. He knows his stuff, so you guys will really love this interview. But before we get into that, Speedy, there's a lot of stuff that's happened to you this week. Why don't you tell the fans? Yeah, unfortunately this week my grandfather has passed away, Carl Albert Clover, at the age of 84. He had a collapsed lung. He was dealing with a lot of different things throughout the last six months. Had an infection in his leg. He had bladder cancer and unfortunately passing away at the age of 84. One of the most powerful, strongest men. One of the most unique guys you'll ever meet. One of the kindest human beings in so many facets of life all throughout Long Island. He was an army soldier. He was a professor at Suffolk Community College. Played football at Pitt. So He's in so many different walks of life in so many different states, traveled a lot, raised my father and three other children. Fantastic father, fantastic person, one of the most knowledgeable people, one of the most kind people you will ever meet, and the world will definitely not be the same without him. He was a big influence on me, a big influence on my father, and making us the people that we are today. He will be missed. Very, very nice guy, Mr. Kloiber. Ever since Speedy's been a part of the network, he's been very supportive when it comes to me and what we've been doing here with the network. So I want to give a shout out to the Kloiber family. Just so much death. I mean, I lost my nephew a couple of weeks ago. So it's been crazy. My heart goes out to them. For all the fans out there, please send your prayers out to the Kloibers. We have a great show lined up for you. We will get into this whole lockout when it comes to baseball. Rob Manford trying to change rules with the baseball world. We'll get into the Islanders situation. My thoughts on the NHL and not canceling some of these games as quick as they should have. And that's why the Islanders are a nine-game losing streak. I'm not blaming the NHL. I blame the Islanders, too. And Lou, who's made a lot of good moves this offseason, the one move that he didn't do was bring in Vladimir Tarasenko, which I think would help the offense, would have helped Barzell. Didn't add that offensive prowess, and you see what this team is right now. The Rangers playing unbelievable hockey. Suzerkin getting hurt. The New York Knicks back and forth. Win, lose, win, lose. They don't know who they are. They don't know who their identity is. And Tom Thibodeau looks like he's going to have a heart attack. It looks like he's going <laughs> to fall over have a stroke. As far as the Nets are concerned, Kevin Durant just dominates last night. Looks unbelievable. And that's why I believe he's the MVP right now. I don't want to hear about Steph Curry or any of that crap. Kevin Durant is, to me, solely number one when it comes to MVP voting. I don't think so, you ever want to hear about Steph Curry. Is Steph Curry really that much better than Kevin Durant this year? He's not. No, I don't, I don't think so. Kevin Durant's just playing top-end basketball. We will also get into football. We'll do our picks 
our free-for-all picks. Did I win this week? No, nobody got any points this week. You got the Patriots right, but they were on the over. You had them on the under. Nah. We'll talk about the Jets, the return of Zach Wilson. He didn't look good, but I know a lot of Jet fans want to jump off the plank or something because they think, hey, this might not be the guy. Remember, it's very, very early. A Kyle Shanahan offense, it takes a couple of years to understand the precision of the offense. So I don't think past this year that you can say that Zach Wilson is going to fail in this offense. And the Giants, is Dave Gettleman going to get fired at the end of the season? And Joe Judge might be on his way out as well. So a lot to talk about. So let's get into the Mets first because the Mets made quite a few moves. The big move, Max Scherzer is going to sign a three-year, $130 million contract with the New York Mets, which makes him the highest-paid player in Major League history. You look at Max Scherzer. I'm not taking shots at him. I think he's one of the greatest pitchers we've seen in our era. Three Cy Youngs, won a championship with the Nationals, been in the playoffs quite a few times with Detroit and the Nationals, went to the Dodgers. He played very well with the Dodgers. I thought he was the best pitcher for the Dodgers when he got traded over there. Runner-up for the Cy Young this past year. Uh I understand why the Mets made this move. You lose Noah Syndergaard. I don't think you were going to re-sign Marcus Stroman. You lost out on Steven Metz. You should never gotten rid of him. And I think he really smacked Steve Cohen in the face, walking away and going to St. Louis for a four-year deal. Meanwhile, he's from New York and Long Island. Grew up a Met fan. But I think bringing in Max Scherzer only tells the Met fans one thing. It's time to win. We're in it to win it. The problem is the Mets last year and Steve Cohen spent almost $600 million. This offseason so far, he's spent over 250 and he's probably not done. You're talking about almost a billion dollars. Now, is a billion dollars a lot for a guy like Steve Cohen, who's the richest owner in baseball? The answer is no. But we all know with the Yankees, buying championships never work. I want to hear that the Yankees bought their championships in the 90s. They built around a court. Bernie Williams, Derek Jeter, Andy Pettit, Jorge Posada, Mariano Rivera. These were five core players that they built in their farm system. And then they made trades for Tino Martinez, Paul O'Neill, Scott Brocious. Not superstar pieces, but good pieces to bring together a team that eventually wins. Now, they did add David Wells, and they traded for Roger Clemens, and then re-signed Roger Clemens, Jimmy Key. But when they brought in other players later in the years with Jason Giambi, did they win with Jason Giambi? They never did. They paid him a lot of money after they knocked the Oakland Athletics out year in and year out with Jason Giambi, the star first baseman, a.k.a. steroid abuser. (laughs) He comes to New York, and he never wins. And the Yankees have had some really good players come to the Yankees. The Yankees brought in. They bought. Never worked. In 2009, it did. They brought CeCe Sabathia. They brought A.J. Burnett. They brought Mark Teixeira. It worked. One championship. Spent $500 million. So hopefully... With a billion dollars, this might bring a playoff appearance. Last year, the Mets spent all that money for Lindor. What are you about, 230? Yeah, 230, 20 home runs, 69 RBIs. You're going to pay a $35 million player that kind of money? You're not. But looking at Max Scherzer, yes, a lot of Mets fans are excited. You got two of the great pitchers in baseball right now. Jacob DeGrom, who I think is number one. Max Scherzer is a three or four in my eyes. Because you could argue Cole, other pitchers. Bueller, yeah. Bueller, that might be better than him. But besides that, the Mets quite possibly could have two of the best pitchers in baseball on one roster. But we've seen this before. They had Noah Syndergaard, one of the great young pitchers in baseball. They had the Black Knight, who was at one point the best pitcher on the New York Mets. Jacob DeGrom and Steven Matz. They had four of the best 
young pitchers in baseball, went all the way to the World Series and lost against the Kansas City Royals. And they built that team around their farm system. The Daniel Murphys of the world and the young pitchers. They brought Yoannis Cespedes in. Yes, he helped them win. He gave them power in their lineup. But that team was built through the farm system. When you look at the Mets right now, can you name, besides maybe two players on this team, that are in the starting lineup that are from the farm system? And McNeil might not be in the starting lineup no, this year. No, he's probably going to be a platoon guy for the most part because Eduardo Escobar is going to be a second baseman in some aspects, and Dominic Smith will still play. I think they're going to platoon it. McNeil will play against the righties, and Smith will play against some righties, some lefties too. And then if they keep J.D. Davis, he'll play as well. So, yeah, he's not even going to be a full-time player. And if he does, he's going to hit like seven. The Mets brought in Sterling Marte. I think that was the best move out of all of them. They've been looking for a center fielder. He's one of the best center fielders in baseball. He steals bases. He does all the quality things you want a center fielder to do. And he adds power to the lineup. Something that not many center fielders actually do. And some of the acquisitions that they made, I think, really fit what the Mets are looking for in their roster. But Max Scherzer, $43 million, way overpaid. Everybody's going to say, everybody's overpaid in baseball. $43 million to a player in July that's going to be 38 years old. Now, when his contract is up, he will be 41. Now, I understand that the Mets could opt out of the contract in the third year. They're probably not. Why would Steve Cohen do that? Because Steve Cohen, when he usually promises, he don't care about the $43 million. But this is why a lot of the baseball owners didn't want Steve Cohen to be one of the owners. Because they knew that when he took over the Mets, he would do anything to try to win a championship because he grew up a Met fan. He's from Long Island. Now, I understand that the Mets have been screaming for a championship. 1986 was the last time they won. We've seen this. The Knicks haven't won since the 70s. The Rangers finally won in 94. Islander fans chanting 1940. The last time they won before that was 1940. It was 50-something years. Yeah. And now when the Rangers won in 94, I said, watch, it's going to be another 40, 50 years before the Rangers win again. And it looks like it might happen. approaching that. (laughs) But going back to the Mets... They're craving for a championship. They're craving for wins. They're craving to take over the tabloids, the newspaper skins from the Yankees. And they're right now doing it because Brian Cashman is sitting still and Yankee fans want to jump off a ledge. Because they're not spending money for a Max Scherzer, a.k.a. Tyler Harrison. The Yankees are idiots. Aaron Boone's terrible. Joe Girardi should be the manager of this team. Give me a break. Joe Girardi hasn't won anything with Philadelphia in two years. Give me a break. Now, I'm not saying Aaron Boone's any good, but he's a top five manager in baseball. Four years that he's been there, he's made the playoffs every year, two 100-win seasons. And all the injuries the Yankees have had, he's been pretty successful there with no management experience. The Mets don't even have a manager right now, and they're bringing in Max Scherzer and Sterling Marte. Speedy, please tell me, am I wrong about this? Well, we'll see who the manager ends up being. The latest rumor is Curtis Granderson was in the running, too. Oh, God. He's a fun personality guy and probably great with the players. I don't know how he'll be as a strategic guy. The guy I want is Mike Schilt, but that doesn't seem very likely that that's going to happen. It looks like it's going to be either Buck Showalter or the guy that, oh God, if they hire him, Brad Ausmus, I'm going to lose it. But in terms of the Scherzer deal, yes, it's a lot of money. We expected him to get a lot of money with the second half that he had with Not the Dodgers. 43 million. I don't think anyone expected $43 million. Maybe 30. He definitely was going to get 30 plus no matter what. Here's where I think it was beneficial for the Mets is the length of the contract is three years versus a five-year deal. I was worried if Max Scherzer was going to get paid by the 
the Mets, it was going to be something like five years, it'd be 32 plus million. I actually would rather have the 343 rather than the 532 because of the potential for the injury. The Mets ruin players with injuries all the time. He also has shoulder problems already. Again, I don't think that should stop the Mets from trying to sign players because then you're dealing with Wilpon territory again where they have to settle for the old outfielder or the old veteran starting pitcher that's just going to break down anyway, which Max Scherzer, again, he's had... Later in his career, some injury issues, but for the most part has been durable, and he's still a heavy strikeout guy that I don't think is going to lose a lot with a slight drop-off in velocity, if that's what it comes down to, with his shoulder. Now, if the Mets overwork him, that'll be on them. That's their own problem. And that's the one thing that still concerns me with the Mets as a team culture standpoint, whoever their manager comes in, and this coaching staff. But that shouldn't stop Cohen and Epler for wanting to spend money. Yes, 43 is a lot. I would have thought he would have gotten $5 million less. But whatever. I'd rather have that than five years, 33 plus million and risk the longevity being a factor where it might be impossible to trade later on too. Three years, I think is a much more safer bet when it comes to the potential longevity for Scherzer. And because they did well with their other contracts with Escobar, with Kana and with Marte giving them, I'm not going to say completely bargain. Marte was definitely a bargain. They were able to have that kind of luxury to compete in the Scherzer sweepstakes. The Angels were probably going to pay him a lot. The Giants might have paid him a lot. I'm not really sure. Their new GM isn't really as aggressive as their past ones where they had a lot of bad contracts on that team and the Dodgers. You definitely know they could do it. He was definitely staying in L.A. I think he would have gone to the Angels if the Mets didn't swoop in. But even so, the Mets had the leeway to make that move because they were able to do so well. They had the leeway because they have the richest owner in baseball and he's ready to open up his pockets no matter who it is as long as it's going to help him win and he'll shut up Mets fans. But if this fails, if Scherzer's shoulder isn't 100%, it wasn't 100% in the playoffs. Let's be honest. He pitched well, but to play a whole season, and Mets fans are going to expect Scherzer. If it's a full season this year, if Scherzer does play a full season, they expect him to pitch 30 to 33 games. If he doesn't, and he doesn't win, it's a failure contract. And I know Lindor, it's only one year. If Lindor has another year like he did last year, forget it. Mets fans are going to kill him. That's 11 years you're going to be dealing with a shortstop that can't play in New York. And I've said this over and over again. He played for Cleveland. He played in the easiest division in baseball all those years and playing all those bad teams. At one point, Chicago was horrible. Kansas City? Good at the start of his career. Yeah, but they're they're horrible. And they've always been a horrible organization. They don't keep their players. They trade away players. They can't afford them. A.K.A. Carlos Beltran. Remember that guy, Mets fans? Yeah, the last good center fielder they had. One of the best center fielders ever played in New York. If you really look at it, yep. the time that he was here, yep. five years, he was averaging 120 RBIs every season. It's unbelievable. People forget, and Mets fans were killing him when he was here. Yeah, meanwhile, he was the best player in that playoff run. <laughs> oh, he's one of the best playoff players of all time. Now let's get into the lockout. This lockout is absolutely ridiculous. It could have been discussed throughout the season by baseball, MLB players' PA, union. Yep. Now, the players want to play. The owners want a new deal. They want to find a new deal where they can get more money out of the players. They can add a DH. They can have more playoff teams every year, which brings in more revenue for these organizations. Here's why it shouldn't be done. And this is why this is going to be a problem. And I think this lockout strike is going to take a lot more than what people are going to believe it's going to. I think it's going to be three months. I think it's going to be around end of February, March, when there's going to be an agreement. And that means spring training is going to start late. And that means baseball probably won't start until the end of April, which means they're probably going to play 130, 120 games, which they're going to miss about 40 games. So does that hurt baseball this year? It does. Now, this DH thing with the National League, I think it should be implemented. 
Most pitchers can't hit. Besides Otani, who plays in the American League, they're not very good hitters. There's very few that can. Now, I know a lot of National League fans love it, and that's what makes the National League different than the American League and the DH, but it protects the pitcher. And I think with all that money you have invested in these pitchers, a.k.a. Max Scherzer, you don't want him to be in the box trying to swing at balls. I think it protects the pricey pitchers, these relief pitchers. I know it hurts the game and hurts the structure and the way you want to perform and how you want to manage games because Joe Girardi says the National League is so much different than the American League. But Joe Girardi has done better in the American League than he has done in the National League. I know what everybody's going to say. He won in manager of the year the one year he was with the Marlins. It was one year. I also still think the Phillies have the most unmanageable bullpen of all time. And people say he's the best when it comes to bullpens. And he hasn't looked good. It just tells you one thing about management. It's all about the players. It's not always about the manager. In baseball, it's you against the world when you're in that box. If you're hot, you're hot. You're not, you're not. But as far as the strike's concerned, electronical umpires, which eventually is going to be implemented in the game. Craig Goldstein, who we interviewed this week from Baseball Prospectus, the editor-in-chief, he told us he thinks baseball would be better if the league doesn't put these boxes on the TV. Where, yeah, which are always inaccurate. Which is inaccurate and which hurts the umpire's calls and, and makes all these fans pissed off when they're watching the game because they think it's a strike. So... I don't know what baseball is going to implement in the game and these rule changes and everything like that, but baseball should not be changed. Rob Manfred, the whole extra innings, putting the guy at second base, Mm. that's horrible. I think that's gone anyway. That has to be gone. That's horrible. If I was an owner, I would not want that. It ruined so many games for the Yankees this year. It hurt the Mets this year in certain aspects, especially in the second half of the season where the Mets could have won those games. The Mets couldn't win games in nine innings. You put yourself in more deep holes when you're starting at second base. It affects the whole value of the game. Oh, no, I agree with that. Now, in terms of the other rule changes, I don't know if any of them, except for the DH and the National League, are going to be this year. The robot umpires, I think, is an experiment that's going to work. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I think it'll be more over time. They're still trying to experiment with it in the minor leagues and some independent leagues. As Craig mentioned on our show on Wednesday, a lot of them have had malfunctions so far. It's not a perfect science. And again, it is science because it's a lot of technology, high-end stuff. Now, With the strike, I think a lot of it with the players is they want the arbitration years to be earlier in the contracts. That's good for the players. The trend is now we're seeing with the White Sox, with the Rays just paying Wander Franco, with the Braves, with the Blue Jays. There's teams that are paying these players younger, and I think as a result, it's going to be a ripple effect for that kind of thing across the league. The owners want the luxury tax up from uh, $210 million, I think, to $260 million. So it gives them more Which league. I think will be uh, approved by baseball. First of all, it helps the players. So I think baseball will approve it. Yeah. Will that determine in terms of separating the gap between the high market teams and the low market teams? No. Is still to be determined. But I don't think it will. I think the arbitration rules will definitely yes. help those teams because they could pay these guys earlier where it will be more affordable and for them. And you can them, protect your players. And they balance it out. like and you can Ra- keep your points. Right. Like the Rays did with Franco. And I think that'll end up balancing that kind of parity out where even if the luxury tax will help them for free agency, it could help them for an arbitration standpoint. In terms of the playoff teams, I completely agree with you. I think seven's too much. I think five or six is definitely fine where it is right now. I always thought four was too little, but five or six I think is reasonable. You know it's Se- going to get approved. I know, and just like the DH. I think the DH will get approved too. I always like the split in both leagues. I think it makes the World Series strategy and the interleague strategy interesting, especially with teams right now building more versatile rosters, but you're right. I think it is inevitable that the NLDH Why is not? happening. Why not? And especially the 14 teams. It's going to put more money in the owners' pockets in the, in the league because that's an extra game and extra money and extra TV deals yep. that they're going to get. I agree with you on the 
the actual strike itself. I think it's going to last a lot further into the season than people think. I have a prediction where I think Memorial Day will be the first day for baseball because players have already already wanted the season to be wow, shortened eh? anyway. Yeah, Cody Bellinger, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, and a couple others said like three years ago they wanted the season to be 115 games, 110 games. So I think that's going to be one of the things that they go through with. I don't think you're going to see 162 anymore. There's no way they're going to go down to 115 from 162. That's so much money that they're going to lose. Maybe 150. There's no way the owners and the players union is going to agree. And first of all, if they play less games, less money is going to go into their pot. There's going to be some compromise in it, but I think that's how long it is going to end up going because I do think it'll be dragged out a lot further because this players union is very strong. Absolutely. And as far as the Yankees are concerned, Yankee fans, they're in the mix for Freeman. Freeman did not sign with the Braves. I believe if he doesn't go to the Braves, he's going to be a Yankee. And as far as Carlos Correa, he's another guy that's been in the Yankees realm and the Yankees are very interested in. They're going to get one or the other. They're going to make a big move, especially with the moves the Mets have made. They're going to make a splash. I believe Brian Cashman will get one. He'll make a trade after this lockout is over. I don't think Yankee fans should have anything to worry about. They're not going to go out and spend like $43 million on a player like the Mets did. That's not the Yankees' way anymore. They're building around their farm system. They've got two really good prospects in Volpe and Dominguez. Their farm system is going to get better as the years go by, because these players are going to start to develop. Carlos Rodon is another pitcher that the Yankees should watch, too. A lefty guy who had a great year last yes. year. Was a Cy Young candidate for the most part before he got hurt the last month of the season. They'll probably look at him, and it's somebody that they could pick up. Yeah, if he doesn't go back to the White Sox, I still think the White Sox could probably get him back. They have all young players on their team. When we come back, guys, we are going to get into some fantasy football and football conversation with our special guest. We will be talking to fantasy pros and dynasty nerd fantasy football right Garrett Price, here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, for another show of the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy, the propeller Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World. Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. Open it. We have great stories. Our shows are great throughout the week. You can watch us. You can listen to uh, the replays of the show. Everything is at the fingertips. So, If you're an older fan and you don't like apps, we made sure that this app is so much easier than most sports radio apps. So definitely check it out if you don't have it already. Our guest, we're very happy to have this guy joining us right now. We are now talking to fantasy pros and dynasty nerds, fantasy football writer, Garrett Price. What's going on, Garrett? Not too much, guys. How are you doing? Oh, well, we're not dancing. But anyways, tell us a little bit about yourself and and how did you start doing the things that you're doing with fantasy football? Yeah, so I've been doing fantasy football from a writing, from a podcasting standpoint for uh, about three years now. And, you know, it was one of those situations where it was better to be lucky than good, honestly, more than anything. I was doing some writing for like my home leagues. You know, we all have these home leagues we're in with our buddies and we trash talk. And then halfway through the season, half the people forget about the league. And you, you know how those go. And so every week I was that dude that was like doing a write up for the league and like, 
just talking about what players I thought were going to do well, what teams were hot garbage and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And one of my buddies came up to me and he's like, you know, Garrett, those write-ups you do, they're actually pretty good. Like <laughs> you should do it for people that care. And I just so happened right at that same time, I was listening to a podcast, the Dynasty Nerds Fantasy Football Podcast, which was the largest dynasty podcast out there. I was listening to it and they were looking for some writers and I was like, shoot apply let's see how it goes and applied they liked the stuff come to find out i didn't even know it at the time i only lived about an hour away from the guys that were doing the show so they invited me to come do a guest spot three years later now i own part of the company so it's uh, it's crazy how these things go that's a little crazy you go from just being a writer to now being one of the owners so exactly you know uh, money talks baby (laughs) so why don't we get into your Ohio State Buckeyes because <laughs> Speedy Petey over here told me that you're a Buckeyes fan. And uh, before we get into the NFL, I have to get into this because all year I've been saying this is the year Michigan's going to knock off Ohio State. Everybody thought I was nuts. Now all of a sudden Michigan destroys Ohio State and now all the excuses come out. Oh, Ohio State's not built for the cold. They're not built for the snow. They're not built for the bad weather. So what was your thoughts after this complete, utter craziness after Michigan knocks off finally the Ohio State Buckeyes for, I think, 10 years. I mean, it's been forever. It's been a while. Yes. It's been a while. Yeah, so I do my best to be as unbiased as humanly possible, which is tough to do. You're a fan. You love your team. You root for your boys. But I try my best to be as impartial as possible. But really what happened was their defensive line dominated our offensive line. I mean, they were just rushing the quarterback well. They were stopping the run. Travion Henderson, one of the best running backs in the country, wasn't hardly doing anything that game. And they were running the ball down our throat, and our linebackers just couldn't fill the holes, couldn't fill the gaps. It was just more of this old-school mentality, and they just beat us up, which is (laughs) embarrassing to say. I hate it. It it ticked me off, but that's really what happens. But as much as I was frustrated, as much as I was angered by this situation that happened, it's good for the Big Ten, and it's good for the rivalry. Because anytime a rivalry becomes too one-sided it's not as much fun anymore you want that anybody could win at any time any year so I think it's gonna help breathe a little bit more life back into this great rival look at the smile on Jim Harbaugh by the way (laughs) can't stand that guy I love to smile after that, after they interviewed him. I've never seen a bigger smirk. It looked like he won the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. Well, for him, it was. He was 0-5, so he needed that. So do you think this particular game and also this particular season says more about Ohio State maybe being a little flawed in some areas? I always said their offensive line and their defensive line this year have been down from what they usually are. You mentioned Travion Henderson doing very well, and they got the two great receivers with Olave and Wilson as well. But what do you think it was for Ohio State, or do you think Michigan was just that good and maybe proved themselves to be better than a lot of people expected? especially after collapsing the way they did against Michigan State. Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit of both. I think Michigan is better than most people, including myself, gave them credit for. They have some legitimate defensive linemen. I mean, them boys can hunt. I got to give credit where credit's due. They were better than I thought they were. But we have a young team overall, too. Our starting quarterback's a freshman. Our our starting running back's a freshman. We brought in some new linemen. It was just a younger team. And defensively, I think that's the biggest frustration of all of this, is just defensively, we're nowhere near where we've been in the past where we're producing a bunch of first-round DBs. We're producing a bunch of first-round defensive linemen. We just don't really have that on this team right now. There might be a couple freshmen that become that, but we don't have those junior and senior leaders that you just go to and you're like, these dudes are studs. 
they're going to step up in big games. And, and I think that was the difference. We are talking to fantasy pros and dynasty nerds, fantasy football writer Garrett Price. So why don't we get into some NFL conversation? Obviously, we're here in New York. Your thoughts to Dave Gettleman, obviously, the acquisitions he made in the offseason. You've heard that Odell Beckham was available. Giant fans were jumping. Let's bring him back. Let's reunite him with this team. It didn't happen. He goes over there to the Rams. What are your thoughts to the Giants this offseason? Is Judge going to be looking for a job? Is Gettleman going to be looking for a job? Where do you see this team? And do you think Daniel Jones is the quarterback of the future of this organization? Yeah, those are a lot of good questions there. And that's been the tough part is it's been really difficult to gauge Daniel Jones because of all the injuries that they've had, they've had some offensive line issues. But then when you're talking about the skill position players every week, Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Saquon Barkley, all of these guys are out. And so it's really tough to judge a young quarterback when he just hasn't had the pieces to do it. So usually the transcendent guys can make it happen no matter what. So clearly he's not that. But is he an average to above average quarterback? It's still tough to say. But NFL, a lot of people say it stands for not for long. So you got to prove it or lose it. And I think we're at the point where I just don't know that he's done enough, whether it's entirely his fault or not. I don't know that he's done enough to really prove it. And so while I think that there's still a shot that he is the starter next year, I wouldn't be shocked at all if they draft a quarterback at some point in the first two days of the draft. This isn't the strongest quarterback class, but there are a lot of players with some upside here. But as far as going to Gettleman and things like that, I don't think he's done as terrible of a job as some people believe. Mm -hmm. He's actually brought in some decent talent. I'm not sold on Joe Judge. He's this old school, hard-nosed guy. And there are places for that in the league, but clearly there's something missing here because this is actually a pretty solid defense. And the offensive line is getting better, but things are just not jiving all the way. There's no cohesion. There's no excitement on this team. You can see some of those young teams that might not be very good, but you see the excitement and the passion. You see the upside of what it could be. You just don't feel that right now, that cohesion with the Giants. And I put a lot of that on the coaching. So as of right now, I think David Gettleman, could he be back? I think he could. I don't think he's been as bad as people think, but I'm probably out on Joe Judge. So outside of probably Kyle Shanahan, the coach that everyone hates in the fantasy community the most is Jason Garrett. Oh. Now he's finally gone. So, so for this season, the remainder of the season, the fantasy playoffs obviously coming up. Now Freddie Kitchens, the Giants offensive coordinator do you think that maybe there are some players that benefit from that kind of scheme the most we didn't really see it against the eagles they won 13 to 7 but it was with their defense and also what coach say judge is gone do you think would be the best to get the most out of these offensive players especially if jones is still there let's start with freddie kitchens i'm familiar with freddie kitchens he was the coach for the browns for one season there freddie's a good guy he's a good old boy i don't think he's this offensive innovator mastermind type guy his history is with running backs so this could be a slight boost maybe to saquon barkley but i know that they've been tentative to really give him that full complement, that full workload just because of all of the injuries and stuff like that. But at some point, you got to let Stallions run it. The kid's a Stallion. So I think with Freddie Kitchens, we might finally see Saquon Barkley really get back into this offense and get things moving. There's a couple different guys that come to mind potentially as coaches or different coordinators. I think the guy that's going to be the envy of most teams in the Carolina offensive coordinator. Joe Brady. Yeah, I think he's probably the one that's going to be coveted the most. We saw what he did with LSU and Joe Burrow. He hasn't had the greatest success so far with Carolina, but they're another team so far that's 
been a nightmare as far as injuries. And Christian McCaffrey's played, what, 10 games? He's out for the season now. He's mm-hmm. done again. There have been quarterback issues and injuries. It's been tough. So I think Brady's probably the one, if I had to handpick somebody, I think he would be the one that I would most likely say I would want to go after because I think they need to get a young, fresh offensive mind. But if you're doing that, I think it's going to be similar to what we've seen with a lot of these coaches. I think he's going to want his guy. And so I think that probably does spell the end for Daniel Jones. And so they might be looking at a Sam Howe. They might be looking at a Desmond Ritter. They might be looking at a Willis from Liberty. So I think if that happens, Giants fans, unfortunately, are going to have to be ready for kind of that full turnover all over again. I'm good with Ritter. I'm skeptical of the other ones right now. Okay. We are talking to fantasy pros, dynasty nerds, fantasy football writer, Garrett Price. Garrett, let's go on to the other New York team. A lot of Jet fans are questioning the quarterback. And I am a Jet fan, and we've talked to a lot of analysts. We have had a lot of writers come on the show and say, the Shanahan offense, it usually takes two years to figure out because it's a very hard offense to learn especially as a rookie quarterback right now if the season were to end the Jets have the four and the five pick Giants have six and the seven which is unheard of both New York teams have four of the top ten picks and I think the Eagles in the first round as well the the, the Eagles have the next two yeah Yeah. it's crazy what are your thoughts to Zach Wilson a lot of people still think Zach Wilson's the guy it's just going to take a little while to understand this offense do you think Zach Wilson is naturally the guy for this team. So I've not been the biggest Zach Wilson guy, Mm -hmm. even coming out of college. And that's one of the things we do at Dynasty Nerds is we watch a lot of tape. Like we get really nerdy into watching tons and tons of tape of these guys in college. I thought he was a good quarterback. I think he had a lot of traits, but he didn't do anything spectacular. There was a lot of things he did well, but there wasn't that one thing. Lamar Jackson, fantastic athlete. Josh Allen, cannon for an arm. There was nothing that he had to really truly hang his hat on. So a lot of good traits, nothing special or elite. So going into this season, I was hoping that he would get to go to a team where they were a little more established. Maybe he got to sit and watch a little bit because he is a little bit of a younger guy. He hasn't had a crazy amount of starts. He's not this four-year quarterback that started as a true freshman or anything like that. I was hoping that he would have a little bit more time, get a little bit more of an opportunity to learn. Kind of like Trey Lance, but that hasn't transpired for him. They threw him to the Wolves Still right early. Away. A little early. So that being said, though, I think it is too early to say one way or another. You look at Peyton Manning's rookie season. Right, it was Peyton hard. Manning, he set the record for interceptions in the season. Yeah. It was embarrassingly bad. So some of these guys do take some time to develop. And I actually overall really like what they're building. I like Robert Sala. I think he's a smart guy. I think he has some growing pains, some things to figure out as he goes. But you drafted Elijah Moore, who I think is an incredibly talented receiver. thought that was a steal where they got him. Michael Carter, I think, is a good young scat back. And I think he can be an effective running back in this league. They've got some solid pieces on the offensive line. Beckham. He's awesome. So He needs to start playing. And I think that's affected the growth of Zach Wilson because you don't have that left tackle that's going to protect you. Elijah Vera Tucker, he looks like he's going to be a stud. I really think at number four and five, if Neil is sitting there at four, grab him up. You solidify that offensive line. You put Neil on the right side, and then you really put Zach Wilson in position to not fail and put him in position where he's going to have time to actually produce and get that ball where he needs to get it. So I think yep, that's where absolutely. they go. And then also that LSU corner. Sting. 
Zwingli, yeah. Yeah, who a lot of people believe might fall because of some of these teams that are sitting above them that are looking for particular positions that Stingley is not going to be at that position where a lot of people are going to be looking. So the Giants could have a chance to get him. The Giants don't need corners. And right now the Jets... Take a pass rusher, please. Right, and, and the Jets <laughs> right now with the draft that they had in the second half, they've had a very good draft when it comes to the corner position too. So Stingley could fall. I really think he could fall as good as he is. And Jeff, our big college football guy, he says that Stingley is the best player in this draft by far. Crazy. I would tend to agree. I think he is. I don't know if I'd say by far, but I do think he is the best player in this draft. It's just you rarely see a DB go that high, but the raw ability is pretty ridiculous for that kid. So I want to talk about the rookie quarterbacks in general, both this year and also next year too, when the class is supposed to be a little more, like you were saying, questionable, where maybe there's somebody that breaks out, but it's not obvious. And this year, they were supposed to be more sure things. Trevor Lawrence was supposed to be very good, Justin Fields, and even Zach Wilson, a lot of people thought when they were rising, were more of that kind of thing, but it hasn't happened that way this year. So from a dynasty perspective, what can you imagine this quarterback grouping to be for the young quarterbacks? Because we saw more instant impact the year before with Burrow and Herbert. How do you judge that kind of thing when it comes to a fantasy perspective and also the upside potentially that these guys could have, especially the 21 class? Because we know Mac Jones, he's great this year, but he kind of is what he is. And maybe do you see more upside with him and then how much more upside with the other guys? So Mac Jones is an interesting case. So sometimes we have to differentiate fantasy football and real football. Whereas even though the game of fantasy football is based off of real football, the way the scoring always works out doesn't mean that they are always good in both. So I would argue that Mac Jones right now is playing very good as an NFL quarterback. Mm -hmm. He's making a lot of good reads. He's running that offense very efficiently. He's doing what he's been asked to do. And he's leading that team to the playoffs right now. So from an NFL perspective, you're thrilled. But from a fantasy football perspective, he has no rushing upside. He's not running the football at all. When it gets to the winter months, the Patriots run the football. They're not looking to throw the football much. And even at this point, as well as he's played fantasy football wise on a points per game basis, he's behind. Sam Darnold. He's behind Jimmy Garoppolo. He's behind Tyrod Taylor. So it's not like he's scoring a ridiculous amount of points. So that's the tough part is he's a really good real life quarterback. I just don't know how much it's going to translate to fantasy. Trevor Lawrence has been disappointing this year. I mean, we're talking about one of the most highly regarded quarterbacks coming out maybe ever. I mean, we're talking Andrew Luck range, Peyton Manning range. We really put this kid on a pedestal and so far he's been meh at best. Uh, And that's probably being a little bit nice, honestly. So all of that being said, what's going on in Jacksonville right now? is tough. He got paired with a coach and I'm familiar with Urban Meyer. Obviously he was at Ohio state for a long time. And I think Urban Meyer is a great college football coach, but he's running that team like a college football team. There is a huge difference between how a college football team is run and how an NFL football team is run. And so I just don't think he was set up to succeed. And then even then they're drafting guys like, like Travis Etienne in the first round, which who's out for the season, (laughs) who's who's out for the season. That doesn't help at all, but get this guy, some receivers to catch the football or give him some offensive linemen to block for him. The last thing he needed was another running back because they have James Robinson, who's already a very talented player in his own right. So they just didn't do a lot of things to set him up for great success. I still think the raw ability is just far too good for this kid, for him to fail. I still would be buying. Let's go to Justin Fields now. I've been a big Justin Fields supporter, not just because I'm an Ohio State fan. I think the intangibles are really there. He was crazy, crazy accurate in college. Talking about one of the most accurate quarterbacks that we've seen coming out in a long time. 
but we also have the athletic ability. And so from a fantasy football perspective, this might end up being the opposite where he might not do quite as well in real life, but I think he's going to do very well for fantasy football just because of how fantastic of an athlete he is. All of those rushing yards really equate to a lot of fantasy football success. So it might actually be a little bit flipped from him and Mac Jones. Kind of like a Jalen Hurts type case. Exactly. Whereas Jalen Hurts, you're not like convinced that he's the guy for Philly. Fantasy football. I am. He's. You are? I am. I think Jalen Hurts is going to be a good quarterback in this league. Again, it's still early for Jalen Hurts. Sure. I mean, this is his second full year, and you've seen some bright things about him. He's been special in certain things. And Zach Wilson, there is something special that I saw in Zach Wilson. He was the most accurate quarterback to come out of college football. His accuracy is phenomenal. The problem with Zach Wilson, I think this year, is the short passes. He's got to work on when he's in the pocket. He steps in the pocket. He makes those short passes. That's something that Mike White was doing, and that's something that Obviously, all the other quarters are Joe Flacco, and it works in that offense. If he learns how to do that in this offense, he will be successful. I think his ability of moving inside and out of the pocket, running both ways, he can make every throw. So I agree with you, but to say that he didn't have anything that was great about him, I think his accuracy, Mac Jones too, accurate quarterback coming out of college. So two very accurate quarterbacks that are very solid stepping in the pocket and making those throws. The reason I didn't give him elite measurables for accuracy, because you're right, on paper, he did fantastic with that. You saw a lot of things in college where his tight ends and his receivers helped him out a little bit. And the coverage was just so much softer mm-hmm. compared to what you're seeing in the SEC and the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. And so I think some of those throws that ended up being completed wouldn't have been completed at a bigger school. And so that's why I didn't give him the elite marks for him. The closest thing that I would say to elite, though, was he had some of the quickest hands and one of the quickest releases out of any of the quarterbacks in last year's class. And I think that was one thing that I did think that was pretty spectacular. There was somebody, they compared him to Omar Vizquel, the former shortstop yes. of the Cleveland Indians. They did, yes. like he just has really quick hands. Yeah. And so it's an odd cross-sport comparison. But I do think that was something that I did think was pretty unique about Zach Wilson there. So, yeah, that's kind of my feelings on so far on this year's quarterback class. We are talking to fantasy pros and dynasty nerds, fantasy football writer Garrett Price. The Giants mm-hmm. aren't an organization that's going to trade away when they need so much right now in certain areas, especially offensively for this team, where they could just give up a couple of first-round draft picks for Russell Wilson, because that's what you're going to need. Chicago offered three first-round draft picks and possibly Khalil Mack to get Russell Wilson. The Giants are going to have to do the same to get him. To me, even though Russell Wilson's coming off an injury, and you could tell, he's not 100%. Oh, for sure. He was holding that hand funky on his release. You could tell he wasn't finishing his throws. Not at all. I don't think he's 100%. One thing I say about the Giants is they're not an organization that's going to say, you know what, screw this. We're going to trade away all these draft picks to get this guy, because he's the guy. He's the missing piece that's going to take us to the promised land. Even though their division is very winnable, winnable. it's definitely a winnable division. But we see the growth of Dak Prescott and this Cowboy team. They're much better than we thought they were going to be. I will say this about the Giants, though. The offensive line went from literally being one of the worst in the league. Mm -hmm. It's much improved. Andrew Thomas has looked much better than he did in his rookie campaign. And the weapons on paper look really good. Mm -hmm. You know, Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton, Shepard, and Tony has Tony is going to be the guy. The man, yeah. Saquon Barkley. If you put a competent quarterback back there with a decent defense, I don't think it's as far away 
as it could be, as it is for some other teams. If you put a Russell Wilson, you put a Deshaun Watson, you put an Aaron Rodgers back there, that's a 10-11 win team right there. We were talking about different running backs getting hurt this year. It seems to be a a debate in this fantasy community. Do they go with the running backs early, load up on them for the first five picks we've seen hurt, and then the other way around, we've heard other extremes of the zero running backs philosophies. What is your thoughts on that from both a dynasty perspective and also just in general the landscape of the NFL where it's going, where there are more running back platoons? Yeah, so for dynasty purposes, and you know, some of the listeners might, might not be familiar with the differences between dynasty and redraft, but basically your redraft league is what you do with your buddies every year. You know, you guys get some beer, you guys hang out, eat pizza, and you draft a bunch of players in 15 rounds, and then you go home. That's a typical redraft league. You might do that in your office pool, things like that. <laughs> dynasty leagues, though, this is like where you take it to a whole nother level, get super nerdy, and basically you're like, I want to be like a general manager. General managers get the luxury of drafting all these players, constructing their teams, and then at the end of the year, they still have those players. They get to hold on to those guys and try to build around those stars, and that's kind of what Dynasty is. You don't draft again next year. You keep the same team. You just draft rookies every year, Hmm. or you trade and do free agency and stuff like that. So for those that aren't familiar, that's kind of the difference is it's much more with a long-term mindset in mind than just, I'm going to take Derrick Henry this year. Mm -hmm. Well, you might be a little more hesitant because he's 28 in Dynasty. So you have to factor all of those things in. So going back to your question then, as far as the different ways to build your teams, for me, overall, what it comes down to more than anything is, and this is going to sound so cliche, so I apologize ahead of time, but it's truly best available. Sometimes I think people get so caught up in, I got to have this many running backs. If I go through an entire Dynasty draft, and I don't take a single tight end, that's fine. I'll trade for one later for a guy that would have had higher value. That's the hard part. Let's say we're in the third round. I've already taken two wide receivers. I say to myself, Gary, you don't need another wide receiver. You already got your two starting wide receivers. You don't have a quarterback. You don't have a running back. You don't have a tight end. But I'm sitting there and a star is available. Let's say for some stupid reason, Debo Samuel is available there in the third round. How amazing he's playing this year and how young he is. Yeah. Say Debo Samuel's still there. Or I could just take a running back because there's not many left. I'll settle for Miles Sanders. That's the kind of thing that people will do because they got to get a running back. Well, if I draft Debo Samuel and hold on to him and we get to the season, I can trade Debo Samuel for a much better running back than Miles Sanders. I can trade him for Javante Williams. And so I think that's the thing that people make the biggest mistake on is they draft so much for what they think they need, more so than just give me the best guys, and then I'll make my moves from there. As you guys know, we are talking to fantasy pros and dynasty nerds, fantasy football writer Garrett Price. Last question for me. This is the first year, prototypically, when you look at the NFC and the AFC, there isn't a defined team that you're going to say, that's the favorite. They don't have any weaknesses. They're going to the Super Bowl. They're winning the Super Bowl. They're coming out of the NFC. They're coming out of the AFC. If you right now look at the AFC and the NFC, everybody so close together. There's nobody pulling away. Tampa last year, a lot of people thought they were going to pull away. Tampa is not a pull-away team. They've got weaknesses, especially in the defense and what we've seen this year from what they didn't have last year. And offensively, right. they've had a lot of problems, too, in certain aspects, especially against some of the bad teams that they played and lost against. So when you look at the NFC and the AFC, right now, if you were to make a choice, who's going from the NFC and who's going from the AFC, who do you have going to the Super Bowl? Such a good question. If I had to choose today, I'm leaning towards the Arizona Cardinals for the NFC. I like what they're building out there. Their offense is just dynamic. Their problem is they just can't seem to stay healthy. They got to get Kyler back out there. They got to get Nuke back out there. But this is a much improved defense from what they've had in the past. Different players are, are really, really stepping up. Buda Baker's 
one of the best safeties in the league. J.J. Watt, unfortunately, they're missing him, but they still are, at least have that locker room presence of a guy like How about the young linebacker that they drafted that everybody loves at 16, by the way? Isaiah Simmons? Yeah. No, no not Zayvon Isaiah Collins. Oh, Zayvon Collins. Collins. That's right. Zayvon Collins and, and Isaiah Simmons, they got a good duo right there with those good young players. So I think that's a good team. If I had to pick one in the NFC as like the team to beat, that's probably where I'm going. The AFC is such a mess right now. I feel like every week there's a different favorite. If I had to pick one right now, it would probably still be the Buffalo Bills, but I don't feel great about it. I think the Baltimore Ravens are are a decent team, but it seems like every year, Lamar Jackson seems to be figured out in the playoffs. They do everything to stop him, and then there's just not enough elsewhere. And I don't think that defense is as good as they've had in the past. Some of their other teams, the Titans were looking great, but they just keep getting hurt and hurt. You know, you lose Derrick Henry, and then you lost Julio Jones. Now you've lost A.J. Brown, and there's just not enough weapons on offense to really keep it going. So, yeah, I think by default at this point, I'm going to say Buffalo Bills, but I don't feel great about any team over there right now. One bold fantasy prediction for the rest of the season, one bold NFL prediction, and a league winner that nobody's going to see coming. So one bold fantasy prediction for the rest of the season. If you've listened to Dynasty Nerds at all, you're going to know my feelings on this guy. This is probably outside of the realm of even possibility. It's so bold. But I am a huge fan of Javante Williams, the running back for the Denver Broncos. So I'm going to say he ends up taking over the job in Denver Hmm. and ends up being the, we'll say, top eight running back. For the rest of the season because they have a soft like I'm talking like cotton soft like clouds soft playoff schedule for the rest of the way for running back so whoever gets the rock there is going to do well as far as NFL prediction goes I'm going to say the Pittsburgh Steelers do not win another game for the rest of the season. <laughs> that team is just hot garbage right now um, and then for the league winner a league winner that no one will seek coming you know what this is a new york based show here let's keep it new york Kadarius tony breaks out the second half of the season and leads fantasy managers to titles all over the place well garrett we really appreciate you joining us you are definitely very interesting we'd love to get you back on again before the playoffs we're going to do our playoff picks because i had tennessee in the beginning of the season i didn't think derrick henry was going to get hurt i had tennessee going to the super bowl and i had green bay and i still think green bay could get there i think their defense is really showing everybody for the first time i can honestly say aaron Rodgers has a competent defense so if that defense actually stays competent i think green bay could go all the way to the Super Bowl and win. I think they have the ability and they have the weapons. Well, he is the weapon that can make the weapons work. So, Garrett, while we're on the topic of preseason Super Bowl picks, I apologize for jinxing your Browns. I had them in the Super Bowl at the start of the year. I had them losing to the Rams. Yes, he did. I told him he was out of his mind. He thought because Cleveland, with the acquisitions they made in the offseason. I thought they were so deep. And they were so deep. We've seen this before. We've seen deep teams so, so many times and somebody gets hurt or an important piece gets hurt or two or three important pieces get hurt and it just never works. And I didn't think Cleveland was going to stay healthy this year, and I was right about that. And I still think Cleveland could be a borderline playoff team because the wild card is still open. But that's not saying much with what we've seen in the AFC. But I do believe that if Cleveland plays Kansas City again in the playoffs, they beat them.
Mm-hmm. And I believe that. Yep. I really don't think Kansas City is any good. <laughs> I picked them last so, year, too, and they almost won. And by the way, all those Mahomes lovers, now that you see that he has a poor certain offensive line in certain areas and there's holes in their defense, now you see what Mahomes could be when he's put under pressure and a team is not stacked. There's only a few quarterbacks like Tom Brady over the years, Aaron Rodgers over the years, the Drew Breeses over the years. Even when Ben was at the prime of his career, Ben Roethlisberger, too, he hid the deficiencies of his team. And Peyton Manning, of course. So there are very few quarterbacks that can do that. I don't think in the AFC, quarterback that sticks out to me that's going to hide most of the deficiencies. So that's why I think the AFC is going to be very, very close to the end. Watch out for the Chargers. I've been saying that all season long. Chargers get into the playoffs. They're scary good. My sleeper for the Super Bowl, mine's the Colts, man. I, I think the Colts have a good defense. Yes. Jonathan Taylor is a beast. He is. Carson Wentz is underrated. Yeah. They could be sneaky. And finally, he wins it for himself. He doesn't have Nick oh, we'll Foles thrown we'll for <laughs> There's no guarantees. He can still get hurt. Jacob Eason, baby. Jacob Eason, Super Bowl title. Here he comes. He's always had the arm talent. He's just very raw. There were some good, like I said, guys like Zach Wilson and some of the quarterbacks that were drafted this year. I think Justin Fields needs a little time. All these quarterbacks are going to need a little bit of time. I think as these quarterbacks grow in their positions and their offenses, you're going to see the difference in them. I think this was a very good quarterback class. Trevor Lawrence is going to be a good quarterback. I still think Zach. I still think Fields. And I've said this, Mac Jones, I've told everybody, being that he was drafted, Drafted by the New England Patriots, I thought he was going to be successful because Bill Belichick is going to make sure that he's successful. Never a Trey Lance fan. That was one of the worst trades San Francisco 49ers can make. They didn't trust in Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that was a big mistake. And going after Trey Lance, who to me was really a flip of a coin, not having a season last year. And I think Shanahan could be on his way out after next year. He might make it this year because his buddy Lynch is running the team. But next year, if he does it again and fail the way they have, Trey Lance doesn't turn into anything. Bye-bye, Shanny boy. Fantasy football Twitter will rejoice in that case, right, yes. Garrett? Garrett, I'm not like a Everybody hates Kyle Shanahan in fantasy stop, football world. Stop, stop ruining all our running backs. <laughs> <laughs> and Brandon Ayuk. He's the only coach in history as an offensive coordinator and as a coach in a Super Bowl when everything is working running the ball all of a sudden, when you have a lead by almost double digits, hey, you know what? Five, seven, eight, fourth quarter, I'm going to stop running the ball. I'm going to just throw the ball and give the game away. He did it against the Patriots, and he did it against Kansas City when he should have won that Super Bowl. So that's all I could say about Kyle Shanahan, I think is, to me, one of the most overrated coaches in the NFL. Garrett, thank you for joining us. Tell the fans how they can find you on social media. Yeah, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Dynasty Price. That's where I spent a majority of my time. Uh, feel free to shoot me a DM, hit me up on there, start sick questions. I answer as many as I can. Thank you so much, Garrett. We are definitely going to get you on again. Speedy is definitely going to reach out to you. We really appreciate you joining us and giving us a little bit of time. I enjoyed it. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Garrett Price. Great fantasy guy. Awesome. Knows his stuff. We went through college football to the NFL. Ohio State fan. I'm sure he wasn't happy about Ohio State, as you heard him very, very well, that Michigan completely took his team out. Anyways, I want to give a shout-out before we go to break to the families that lost their loved ones in that shooting this past week. The 15-year-old that went into his school and shot 20 rounds or 20 clips, killed a couple of people, teacher was injured, a bunch of kids were injured. So my heart goes out to the families that lost their loved ones and the kids and the families that are are injured right now. That kid's parents that somehow had that semi-automatic gun for his kid to take. And then some of the things, the text messages back and forth to her and her son laughing and giggles. It's just absolutely disgusting. I believe they're going to get what they're asking for. So my heart goes out to the families in Michigan. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we just were talking football. 
football with Mr. Dynasty Man. We're going to get into football. We'll get into the Jets, the Giants, and our free-for-all picks here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, for another show of the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy, the Flying Man Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, which is Apple, WWSRN in the search bar, or on Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. The weather over here, uh, now it's finally fall, or whatever you call it, winter it's 39 degrees today. I've had a cold for the last couple of days, just trying to get it out. I am getting my vaccine. I know a lot of people are against it and you're for it. Whatever it is, uh, I'm, I'm getting the vaccination, going back to work, trying to get healthy. So uh, it's crazy, man. But the world could be worse. Thank God we have our health. We move forward as we always do. By the way, I want to give a shout out to Garrett Price. Really thank him for joining us. His busy schedule. He's an owner. Now, helping run an organization, a very popular organization right now, that's doing very, very well. He's a fantasy guru, too. Definitely, if, if you don't know anything about fantasy, go check Garrett out on social media. He could absolutely help you on your fantasy team. Let's get into some NFL conversation. And for the New York Jet fans to sit back and take shots at this kid, I don't think the Jets should have brought him back as fast as they did. Zach Wilson... I believe, is not ready to come back. I think it's in his head right now, the short passes. And I expected this from a young kid. And I think Joe Flacco should have been a part of this team. They shouldn't have given away a sixth-round draft pick for Joe Flacco. I think they could have re-signed him in the offseason, had Mike White on the roster as well. And everybody keeps saying, why does Flacco look good in this offense? Why does Mike White look good in this offense? And why is Zach Wilson struggling? He's a rookie. He's 21 years old. If anybody thought that this kid from BYU, who, by the way, didn't play in the SEC, was going to come into the NFL and just completely light the NFL on fire, is an idiot. I told this to Eric Martini, my buddy, who kept telling me, oh, watch this kid. He's going to kick everybody's butt. And now all of a sudden he thinks he's a bust. He's not a bust. We don't know what he is yet. It takes three years to really figure out if he's going to develop as a good player or if he isn't. I think that next year we're going to see a lot of growth. We see it in Elijah Moore as the season progressed. He didn't have a preseason. We've seen it in Elijah Vera Tucker. I think the draft Joe Douglas has had the last two years have been a success. If you look at it, is Elijah Vera Tucker going to be a player? Yes. Is Elijah Moore going to be a player? Yes. Is some of those corners that they brought in, both Michael Carters, they look like they're going to be players. Now, Ashton Davis, so far has not been a success. And we still don't know what Ashton Davis is. But we're going to see him because I don't know if they're going to be able to re-sign Marcus May. So Marcus May might be gone at the end of the year. If they franchise him, they'll probably trade him. And he's coming off an Achilles tendon. So he's not going to get as much money from the Jets or any other team that's going to re-sign him because that's a significant injury. You look at Zach Wilson right now. Is he somebody that we can brag about as a Jet fan? No. But are you going to throw yourself off a bridge? That Zach Wilson isn't the guy and the Jets wasted another draft pick like they did with Sam Darnold in other people's eyes? I don't think that. Only time will tell, but I think when they actually add players that can catch the ball, and I don't mean Corey Davis, then we could start talking if he's going to be a failure or if he's going to be a winner. But right now, nobody could sit here and tell me that he's a failure. Now, Robert Sala should not have brought him back. And I think Robert Sala is going to be a success story here in the NFL. When he figures out what this defense is and what this defense is all about, and they're going to have a chance to possibly get two elite 
defensive linemen early in the draft. They could get Hutchinson at number four. Right now, they're drafting four and five of the Giants, six and seven. They could bring in two defensive linemen in this year's draft and solidify that defensive line forever. So there's so much the Jets could do. They put themselves in such a good position. Actually, Joe Douglas put themselves in a great position because Jamal Adams right now is bombing over there in Seattle. (laughs) Seattle looks like they're a shell of themselves. They look like they're going to be rebuilding. And how are they going to rebuild when they don't have a first-round draft pick and an elite top-ten pick? The Jets are positioned in a very good state of mind Hmm. if you're a Jet fan. Yeah, the Jets' future outlook we knew was going to be very good for a while. just a matter of them hitting on the draft picks. And that's the difference between the Jets so far and a lot of these other teams that have accumulated these draft picks. It's a new strategy that we're seeing in a lot of different sports now. We saw Cleveland do it with the Browns and – They've hit on their draft pick, but we've also seen teams like Miami have trouble hitting on their draft picks. So the Jets are on that good trajectory from that standpoint. We're really Ashton Davis, and only because of the scheme, Denzel Mims has really just, again, has had trouble developing. But I still think Mims is going to be a good player if he does get those reps. In terms of the active players that they have right now, Zach Wilson has had his flashes. You're right. Checkdowns, he's got to get better on. Decision-making as a whole, he's got to get better on. Because he's good at throwing on the run. He has a big arm. And we've definitely seen some of those flashes. But he has to be more consistent as a whole. Elijah Moore finally looking like the player he's supposed to be the last month or so has been fantastic. And Elijah Vera Tucker's been fantastic. Top 10 overall guard in the league. Not just rookie. Overall guard in the league so far this year. An emotion-type guard like that. Somebody that can move around. It's very unique for today's game. So long-term, it's going to be a great But you haven't really seen how good he is. Because they don't have Mackay Beckham. He's been out for the whole season. Definitely has affected Zach Wilson's growth. Sure. Not having your left tackle there. I also think, though, you've actually seen Elijah Vera Tucker have to do a lot more because without Mackay Beckham. It just shows how good he really is, though. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, it could that kind of thing could take a tough time to transition. And for the first three weeks, it looked like that kind of thing, where a motion guard in that tricky of an offense with a lot of outside blocking, counter blocking, it's going to be difficult. And Elijah Vera Tucker adjusted not only very quickly, but record-setting pace for that kind of offensive lineman. So I give him a lot of credit. He's going to be one of the top three guards in the league in a very short time. If anybody doesn't believe that, I mean, just watch the kid. Watch the trajectory on how he's playing and really the growth of of what he was. He missed the whole preseason. He didn't play one preseason game. Either did Elijah Moore. And everybody, all the Jet fans, oh, he's a bust. He's a bust. He's a bust. How many times did we say that about Odell Beckham until he stepped on the field his fifth week? Mm -hmm. I'm not saying Elijah Moore is Odell Beckham, but you're seeing what Elijah Moore can do and how special he could be. If you look at the draft, Joe Douglas had a home run. I would say it was an A-plus draft, even if Zach Wilson's a bust. But Zach Wilson, we don't know what he is, and I don't think he's going to be a bust. I think only time will tell what he is, but his ability to do so many different things. Garrett was wrong that he's not strong in one strong thing. His accuracy He's very strong. He did throw a lot of interceptions so far this year. That has a lot to do with forcing the ball in places he shouldn't be forcing the ball. But his accuracy, pinpoint. That's the strength of what Zach Wilson is. He can move inside and out of the pocket, and he's got a strong arm, and he can put the ball where he wants to put it. Well, accuracy is also a different type of metric, too, where it's not just judging on one element. You could judge it on visually how good a throw looks. You could judge it on completion percentage. You could judge it on intermediate throws. So that's a tricky one to judge in terms of like one particular trait, because he was mentioning Lamar Jackson with his speed, and he was mentioning Josh Allen with arm strength, which is a raw, not statistical-based thing. That's a visual-based thing. So it's a tough metric to judge when you're just judging accuracy and saying that Zach Wilson doesn't have elite accuracy one way or another. I don't disagree on certain aspects of his game so far that he hasn't been accurate, 
But to say that he doesn't have an accurate arm, that's that's ridiculous. He led all of college football last year with accuracy. And Mac Jones was right behind him. Mac Jones is playing great football. No question that he is. But he is put in a position not to understand a hard offense. It's short passes. If you don't see the guy that you're throwing to, you throw it to your check down and make the throw. That's the Patriots offense. With the Jets, it's a little bit more complicated. More run first, throw second, uh, play action type of offense, which Zach Wilson's had a problem with. So that's what happens with rookies. As far as the Giants are concerned, obviously Jason Garrett was fired uh, about a week ago. I know Giant fans are very happy about that. I've always liked Jason Garrett. We know. (laughs) The development of Daniel Jones has not worked. And and Jason Garrett, for all the development I believe that he had to do with Dak Prescott with the Cowboys in Dallas, he didn't do a good job with Daniel Jones. Now, is Daniel Jones as talented as Dak Prescott? Probably not. But there are some glimpses that Daniel Jones could be a star quarterback in this league. And I believe it. We've seen games that he makes these unbelievable catches. He makes these unbelievable runs. He's tripped on his own feet, too. He's done a lot of good things and a lot of bad things. But when you don't have a healthy team, you don't have a healthy running back, you haven't had a healthy running back, your wide receivers can't stay healthy. You overpay a wide receiver in Galladay from the Lions. You don't have a natural number one. How do you expect to win? How do you expect this kid to make throws when you don't have a a superstar or an elite player? So you can't blame Daniel Jones. As far as the coaching of this team, a lot of people like Joe Judge, especially when they made that move last year. He was 6-10, which a team that shouldn't have won six games. They had one of the best defenses in the league, top five defense in the league. Oh, my God, this team's going to be even better next year. Well, it's next year, and they have a losing record. And they're in one of the easiest divisions in football. You had Dallas, then you have Washington, then you have Philly, then you have the Giants. And with Dave Gettleman, I think Dave Gettleman's done very good in the draft. But his free agency has been horrible, just like Joe Douglas. But he hasn't had a home run draft pick where you say, wow, that guy's a superstar. And that could have saved Gettleman. And I think that's why it's going to be his demise. I I don't think he's found that superstar ever since he traded Odell Beckham. There's nobody out there. There hasn't been a guy that they've drafted that you could say is the elite of the elite. And that's affected where he is as a giant and where I believe the Maras and the Tishes are going to go in the offseason. So I think Gettleman's on his way out. And I think if Gettleman goes, so will Judge. Yeah, there's no obvious plan that the Giants have had the last four years, kind of since that post-Eli Manning era. And that's really contradicted themselves in terms of what they should be doing to build a team. We've seen teams go completely young all at once. And again, sometimes it works in the case of a team like the Browns. Sometimes it doesn't in the case of a team like Miami. They had one good year last year, but that's really it. And now the Jets are kind of in that kind of same traditional mode now, too. The Giants seem like they do some good things and they contradict themselves with others. Like you're saying, Dave Gettleman is not a bad GM. He's an okay GM. He's made some good draft picks, but has also reached a lot of the time. He's taken a lot of gambles that I don't think the Giants were in a position to take right now. And the free agency really has been a mixed bag, and it's been mostly on the downside recently, and that's not a good sign for his track record. Judge, obviously a big risk as a head coach as it was, being that he wasn't an offensive or defensive coordinator. He was a receiver coach. He was a special teams coach, which I'm not against hiring a special teams coach. I'm just saying he didn't really have a lot of experience in that area just because he coach with Belichick and Saban doesn't really make him an instant success as a head coach. So as a result, those kinds of things are going to hinder the Giants in addition to having some bad contracts on this team, in addition to being positionally based, only good in certain areas. They got on paper, good corners. They have good interior defensive linemen, but they don't really have a lot of everything else. And that's a problem in terms of 
building at least some kind of balance on that kind of team, too. Now, they have two first-round picks like the Jets do in the top ten they're positioned as of right now. It's crazy. The Jets are positioned four and five, and the Giants are positioned six and seven. Mm-hmm. I hope they get at least one pass rusher. And then the second pick could be a multitude It's a good pass things. rushing draft, so yeah. they, they should. Their second pick, they can go offensive line. They could go with the Georgia linebacker. Maybe another receiver, too. Maybe they trade back for that second pick and get some extra draft picks and build that way. So there are options, but I definitely want one pass If rusher. Neil falls out of the top five, I, I can't see the Giants not scooping him up. He's considered a top five prospect, top yes. three prospect. Mm-hmm. If he falls out of the top five, you can't pass up on an offensive lineman that that's good. And that could solidify your offensive line. I don't think the Jets will pass up on him if he falls to four. I think the Jets will draft Neil, and then they'll get a pass rusher at five if they really need it. But a lot of people believe that the Jets need the pass rush, and it could solidify. Could you imagine mm-hmm. they get two elite pass rushers oh, yeah. at four and five and solidify that pass rush that they haven't had for years? So it's going to be very, very interesting. As far as last week's games, I think the Green Bay Packers are for real. I think out of all the teams right now in all of football, I think the Packers – Because the way their defense is playing, this is the first time I could say the Packers, since Aaron Rodgers took over for Brett Favre, that they're playing on all three cylinders. With coaching, too, because I think coaching has been very, very good, too, this year. Right now, I believe Aaron Rodgers is the MVP of the league. Because Tom Brady's last two weeks have not been great, Aaron Rodgers is slowly but taking over. He's got, what, 24 touchdowns to three interceptions. It's unbelievable what Aaron Rodgers is and what he does on the field. It makes it look so easy. But I think the Green Bay Packers winning that game, and the, the Rams have not played well. I've been listening to all different people saying that Matthew Stafford has been horrible this year. I don't believe that. I think Matthew Stafford is absolutely going to give him a chance to win in the playoffs because of his arm strength and his ability to do the things that he can do in the offense. But when you look at the trade for Jared Goff and for two first rounds, third round pick, you gave up a lot for Matthew Stafford. And if he doesn't win a championship with this team in the next year or two, it's a complete catastrophe and bust. And I think if he doesn't get this team into the Super Bowl or an FC title game, I think McVay will be looking for a job at the end of the season. The acquisitions that they have made in the offseason, this team should be an NFC championship team. The only thing that really stood out to me is the Patriots, who are are slowly but surely taking over the AFC, well, Bill Belichick, and the Packers. Those are the only two teams. The Ravens win against the Browns, nothing impressive. I don't care if they're 8-3. and And by the way, Lamar Jackson, four interceptions and winning that game. Usually when you throw four interceptions, you lose that game. That just shows you how bad the Browns are. Absolutely horrible. And the Jets winning last week, no big deal. They have another easy game this week, so we'll see what happens with that. Why don't we get into our free-for-all picks of the week? All right, we start this week with the Washington football team against the Las Vegas Raiders. In Vegas, the over-under is 49.5. I'm going to take the Raiders in this one. I'm going to take them on the under. I think this is a great matchup for both of these defensive lines in this game. Raiders line, it's been better than people thought, but it's still been bad And Washington's pass rush. But also the Raiders pass rush with Max Crosby, Yannick Ngakwe, one of the best duos, not the best duo in the league performance-wise this year. I just think Washington still has a lot of question marks on offense. Terry McLaurin, I think, versus Casey Hayward is going to be an interesting matchup, but that's canceling out. I think benefits the Raiders a lot more because the Washington football team doesn't have a lot of offensive depth. So I'll take the Raiders on the under. This is going to be a fun game to watch, and I think Washington proved last week that they can win a close game. But I'm going to take the Raiders because Washington has to travel to the Raiders. If it was in Washington, I would take Washington, especially the way they played last week. Give me the Raiders on the over. All right. The Chargers at the Bengals, the over-under, also 49.5 for this game. 
This one, I am smashing the over. I think this is going to be a very high-scoring game. I'm going to go with the Bengals. The Bengals' defense, I think, has just been a little more trustworthy in recent weeks. Their secondary sells a lot of question marks, especially with their corner depth. But I think the Chargers' receiving depth has still been not as good as it was in the beginning of the season either. The Chargers have been terrible at stopping the run this year. Worst run defense in football. And Joe Mixon's arguably been the best, outside of Jonathan Taylor, the best performance running back in football the last month. Thanks. So I'm going to take the Bengals on the over. I'm going to go with the Chargers in this game. I think Justin Herbert is going to play hard in this game, especially with the two, I believe, best young quarterbacks right now in the league in Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. These are two guys that we're going to get a chance to watch for many, many years to come. I think they're very exciting quarterbacks. But I like the Chargers in this game. Give me the Chargers on the over. All right. Monday Night Football, the New England Patriots and the Buffalo Bills. The over-under is 42.5. I'm going to take the Patriots in this one. I'll take them on the under. Both of these defenses have been fantastic all year, but the biggest problem is Buffalo losing Tredavious White. Will they be able to adjust to that right away? I think they're going to need a couple games to really figure it out. Their secondary depth is still good, but losing a top three corner, maybe the what best corner in football. Yeah, against the Saints on Thanksgiving. And that's going to be tough to adjust for the first game. The Patriots have been hot. They've been throwing the ball down the field a lot more than people expect. And even though their running game isn't great, it's still a little more trustworthy than the Bills right now. So I'll take the Patriots on the under. I like the Bills in this game. Being that it's home, it's going to be cold, could be snowy. With Josh Allen's arm and the wind, I'm going to give it to the guy and the veteran. It's crazy to say that Josh Allen's the veteran. He has not looked good in the last three weeks. He's been back and forth for the big game. On Monday Night Football, this is one of the best Monday Night Football games we've seen all year. I think this game is going to really stand out. And I think Josh Allen's going to stand out in front of the people. So give me the Bills on the under. And those, ladies and gentlemen, are free-for-all picks of the week. Two of the games are the opposites. Hopefully... We'll see a defined winner this week. Neither of us have gotten a point the last two weeks. Well, that's because we're doing the over-unders. And I've been right on my picks. i just not really right on the over-unders. I've been dead on on my picks, but we'll see. You're three points ahead of me. Yes. So there you go. So hopefully I'll end up a winner. And this week I want to slowly but surely move past Jeff. But I think me and Jeff made a lot of our picks the same. So yeah. we'll see what happens. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into some hockey. The New York Islanders are not playing good hockey right now. Hopefully this week and this weekend will change everything where they're moving forward to. And stop blaming Barry Trotz fans. And we'll get into the Rangers and their success. And Sestorkin, he could be out a significant amount of time with his injury yesterday. So we'll get into that as well here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, for another show on the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy, the Flying Man Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports E-Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to Apple, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. Great shows, great articles, great everything easy for the fan to use. Go out there and check out what we do here in Long Island and our network, one of the biggest and highly profiled digital sports radio networks in the country. So why don't we get into this hockey thing because New York hockey is like a seesaw. It went, the Islanders playing great hockey for the last couple of years and the Rangers not playing so well. 
The Rangers made a move for a new coach. Gerard Gallant takes the Rangers to another situation and completely defined team that we thought we were going to see for the last couple of years with David Quinn. It hasn't been that way, and now all of a sudden the Rangers are playing good hockey with great goaltending by Sestarkin, timely goals, and power play goals by some of the players that you wouldn't expect to be one of the big league leaders in goal scoring. But what really stands out with both of these teams are the Islanders because the Islanders, on a lot of people's lists, were a Stanley Cup competitive team, a Stanley Cup champion competitive team for the last two years. Last year, only losing in Game 7 by one goal, one nothing, and it was a shorthanded goal that threw them out. And probably, if they won that series, probably would have won the Stanley Cup oh, against yeah. the Canadians. Yeah. As an Islander fan, you would sit back and you would want to blame the GM. Lou Lamorello has done everything that he possibly can, back-to-back GMs of the year, making the moves, the right moves at the trade deadline, doing the things that he did in the offseason to clear up contracts, getting rid of Andrew Ladd's contract. Boy, Chuck's gone. They could have $18 million to spend some time at the trade deadline. You'd think that this was a team that was destined to win with the injuries, with the COVID. I know it's so early, but as an Islander fan, you can't sit here in 18 games of the season with only 13 points, only, I think, 33 goals. Yeah. Uh, you have the least amount of goals in the NHL. You're not scoring goals. You bring in Zach Parisi. Zach Parisi has one goal. You're not scoring goals. You're not getting timely goals. You're getting great goaltending. The only thing that's really stood out to me on this team so far in the first 18 games is you got yourself a star goalie. Sorokin, there's nothing... What we have seen with this team, that you can sit here today and say, this team's going to come back. This team's going to be an eighth or seventh seed. Watch out when they get into the playoffs. They're going to be dangerous. Because right now, the Islanders are the second or third worst team in the NHL. They lose a game that they should have won against San Jose in overtime the other day. They get a point. Big whoop. They've lost nine games in a row. This game against Detroit... Is it going to mean anything? It's not going to mean anything if they don't move forward and win multiple games. They're just in a position to fail. And it's not Barry Trotz's fault. So all you fans out there that want to point your finger to arguably the best coach in the NHL, if he wasn't coaching the Islanders, he'd be coaching the Rangers, he'd be coaching any NHL team because teams would be lining up for him. You should be happy to have Barry Trotz and Lou Lamorello, but all you guys are doing is crying the blues. Yeah, Barry Trotz was a candidate to be the Rangers coach, and the Rangers obviously went with David Quinn instead, and again, those could have repercussions, but Gallant has done a great job so far with great the, with the Rangers, so really yeah, nobody could be mad at that, because he's also getting... Coach the, of the year in my eyes. The forwards to be more physical, the depth scoring, the new guys that they brought in, a lot of these guys that Gallant had similar challenge with that in Vegas. Obviously, it's not going to be the same success, but at least it's something with the Rangers, where they need that kind of offensive depth. As good as they are on paper, Paper. The offensive depth didn't show last year, and Shostakin's been great. Hopefully, this leg injury isn't as bad as people think. Galant seems to believe it's not as bad as people think. So, hopefully, they'll be out for storm. at least two weeks. Now, Georgiev has not been good this season, so let's hope he could do better in that kind of emergency role. Because when he's done well, it's usually in that kind of role. When Lundqvist has been hurt, hopefully, he could get back into that form. But the Rangers skaters have been very good this year, and that's really going to make a difference for this team. In terms of the Islanders, thirty-three goals in. 18 games, that's less than two goals a game. That has to be some kind of concern, either with the system, either with depth of this roster, maybe trade for two offensive players. 33 goals is 10 less than the next lowest team, which is the Coyotes, who have 43 goals. That is a god-awful pace. I don't remember a pace this bad 
from any team, you got to hope maybe that there's going to be a complete 180 and there's some kind of resurgence where the Islanders are on an extreme I think it will be, but it might be a little too late. You've got to go on like three or four or five-game winning streaks for them to catch up to some of these teams. This could be a good time for them to catch up to the Rangers at least a little bit because the Rangers lose to Storkin for maybe two weeks. The Rangers lose six games. You can win five games in a row. Maybe you can get five, six, seven points on the Rangers, but the Rangers are still like 13, 14 points ahead of the Islanders. Yeah, I think the Islanders' goal right now is at least for a while, Carl to start because Pittsburgh and Columbus are not obvious threats where they could be trustworthy all season long. Penguins are an older team, not very deep. Columbus is an average team. And even for the Atlantic division, the Bruins have been down this year as well. Is Detroit that trustworthy? And they've been streak reliant in years past too. 2018. They should they won a 13 game winning right. streak. I think. 2018, their first year without John Tavares, they had that big streak in the middle of the season. And then they kind of stumbled down the stretch where they were, I think the three seed instead of the two. 2019, they had a really hot start to the season. Then they cooled off right after the all-star break. Then pandemic happened and the hub city, then they got hot again. They went to the Eastern Conference Finals. Last year, they had the big winning streak. Then they stumbled down the stretch. They lost the top two seed. Then they went to four. Then they went hot in the playoffs again. So they're used to these kinds of streaks. So I wouldn't put it past them to not do it again. But still, it's going to be tough because if you don't score not just two goals a game, it's going to be very hard to do anything because that puts a lot of pressure on your defense and a lot of pressure on Sorokin, too. We're not possessing the puck. They're one of the best five-on-five goal-scoring teams in the NHL. They've been one of the worst this year, and they can't score on the power play. Nobody thought Letty was going to be a big loss, but he's been a huge loss because they don't have a point man. Now, Dobson's going to be that guy, but Dobson's still young, and to put a pressure on a 20-year-old kid, it's a big loss, and Letty's played well. The Red Wings now have the great ex-New York defensive tandem of Nick Letty and Mark Stahl. That doesn't matter. They're playing well. Detroit right now is a borderline playoff team. Stevie I is doing the right thing. And I stop with this Larkin getting traded to the Rangers. No, that was more of an off-season rumor. It's died out now. I'm sick and tired of hearing Tyler bring up the Rangers. The Rangers aren't getting everybody. They don't have any money. The Rangers have strapped themselves for the next three or four years. So this team is the team. If they win or lose... This is going to be the team. they got to re-sign Capococco. Then they're going to have to pay Lafreniere. And they're going to eventually have to pay Storkin again. He only signed a three-year extension. Yeah, not only that, I, the Red Wings are not going to trade Larkin now that they've actually played better. They were the worst team in the league last year by a pretty big margin. And they were expected to still be kind of in that transition mode. Will they make the playoffs? Probably not. But they've been at least performing better where you could say, all right, there's obvious progress with this team. Why trade the best player? If the Rangers are going to trade for a center, it's probably going to be a veteran guy, not somebody as young with still good upside as Larkin. As far as this whole thing with the NHL doing what they did to the Islanders, I think it's a catastrophe for the Islanders. I don't blame the losing streak on the NHL because the Islanders, they should be playing hard no matter who's on the ice. What the NHL did to them, the last two or three weeks, you know the Islanders are covered with this whole COVID situation. They all have their shots. Lou made sure of it. Bodie Wild's not even playing on their AHL team. They sent him overseas because he will not get his vaccine. Right. Bodie Wild might be traded because of the whole vaccination thing. And he's one of the best young prospects they have in their farm system. This could affected the Islanders making the playoffs this year. If the Islanders do play good hockey in the next couple of weeks and they do get healthy, and if they fall short by one or two games... That could have been because of the whole COVID-19 and not canceling the games as fast as they should have. It really has affected the Islanders and where the Islanders have been all season long. And it's still very early. But it does stem to worry you as an Islander fan that the Islanders haven't had momentum. 
They haven't been healthy. They haven't had their whole roster on the ice since the first week of hockey. It's not a good sign with the growth of this team and some of the new players that they added to this team. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into some basketball. The New York Knicks, back, forth, back. For Tom Thibodeau looks like he's going to have a heart attack or a stroke. He's getting more wrinkles by the day. Julius Randle has a good game, and then he looks absolutely horrible, and he's not a closer. And it looks like Kemba Walker will be playing on the second team, and he might not even have a contract next year to play on any team mm-hmm. the way he's been playing. So the Knicks woes and where the Knicks are going to go, and the red-hot Brooklyn Nets. When we come back, some basketball conversation here on the Weekend Crunch. My favorite play. Wow, Speedy's been all over with the music today. Fantastic. Remember, you can listen to the show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy, the Flying Man Petey. Download and check us out, Worldwide Sports Radio, by going to WWSRN on iOS or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, sponsored by New York Sports E-Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's been a horror of the last couple of weeks with some deaths in both our family, Speedy. Sports, it gets you away from all that and kind of gets your head thick into things. Or like an ostrich, you stick your head in the ground and your ass sticking up. So if I could do that, I'd be doing that because it's just been absolutely crazy. Family life and everything that's going on in the world. Gas prices going up. House prices going up. People struggling. Nobody going out and finding jobs. It's just absolutely horrible. But anyways, again, thank you, Garrett Price, for joining us. Fantasy pros and Fantasy nerds, fantasy football writer. The New York Knicks. What is there not to talk about with this team? It's so funny because last year, the Knicks were on these winning streaks. They were playing great team defense. You would have thought the defense would be worse, but the offense would have gotten better. The Knicks right now are 11-11. and Atlanta's played better, and the Knicks have played worse. Now, they do have a game in hand on Atlanta. And they did beat Atlanta this year already. So hopefully when Atlanta comes to New York, they actually win the game that really stands out when Trey Young's going to be dancing yeah, around. Yes, our new favorite player. <laughs> putting his two fingers up and, and waving and saluting to the fans. But Tom Thibodeau has a lot to worry about with this team. The best player in the last two weeks for this team is Emmanuel Quickly. And Emmanuel Quickly's averaging nine points a game. A guy that stepped back this year so far, who looked really good in the first 10 games, is R.J. Barrett. Last year was averaging 17 points a game, about six rebounds, and about the same amount of assists that he's averaging last year. This year, he's averaging 14, 5, and 2. So he's taking a step back. Better defensively, but when you're not playing two-way basketball and you expect this kid to be better offensively, that is a scary thought right now where this team is. And what does that mean? It means he's disposable and he's replaceable, and you can trade him if the trade deadline comes around and the team's going to be asking for him. But Kemba Walker lost his spot as a starting point guard. I'm not surprised. He has not looked good. He hasn't been shooting the ball very well. Forcing the passes. And Julius Randle, who Nick fans think is just a super superstar. Yes, he took less money. He's taken a step back in his points. Last year, he averaged almost 24 points a game. He's averaging 19. Last year, he averaged almost 11 rebounds. He's averaging 10. Last year, he averaged 6 assists. He's averaging five. What does this tell you about this team? Defensively, they're not elite. They're in the top ten. I look at elite top five. Tom Thibodeau is wearing out his team again. This is the same thing that we saw with the Chicago Bulls, the Timberwolves. What does that tell you about his players? They're not conditioned right, or they don't fit the system. I look at this team offensively. There are games that they're scoring top-notch. If Fournier's not hitting three-point shots, they're losing. 
And Fournier looks like he's such an important piece of where this offense is going to be moving forward because I think he's the third best offensive player on this team. His shooting ability at the three-point end, this guy could be one of the best in the league. The problem is, is they're not implementing him and they're not giving him opportunities to shoot. I think the biggest thing with the Knicks right now is they have the depth and haven't been able to figure out how to use it yet. Whether it's minutes played, whether it's roles on the team, they've just been so inconsistent. There hasn't been a single consistent player, probably outside of Derrick Rose. They've had their spurts. Quigley's now playing well. Alec Burks is starting to play better. R.J. Barrett had his in the beginning of the season. Obi Toppin had his in the beginning of the season. But it's just not consistent enough as a whole. And Tom Thibodeau has to realize that. In addition to draining the players, which is already a problem in today's NBA as it is, a load management, in terms of trying to balance everything out, I don't think he's done as good as last year where he was coach of the year. The Knicks have to realize that you're not going to get a consistent offense when one guy is shooting the ball a lot or only two guys can score in a game and you're really trusting everyone else and the defense to win you games. And that's why the Knicks have had a lot of trouble in the fourth quarter this year. More trouble in close games than we've seen in the past. The Knicks did well in close games at the beginning of the season. And then it seems like ever since they beat Milwaukee, came back the way they did, it really has been downhill. They just lost a close one of the Bulls. They just lost a close one to the Nets. The Knicks have to still find that kind of identity. In terms of Kemba Walker, there's also been reports that the Knicks are right now shopping him. There's a rumor with John Wall, which I hope doesn't happen. That's better than Kemba Walker. You bring in John Wall. I know. It's a lot of money. I, it's though. a lot of money, but John Wall is a good point guard. Oh, he's a great fit for the Thibodeau system, unless they get extra stuff back, too, from Houston. I just don't know if Houston's going to be willing to do that. Trade John Wall and, and have Houston take a quarter of the contract. I would make that trade. John Wall could unit. give you 18 and 10. He's still a very good point guard. He's very long, so he could be a good defender in a Thibodeau defense. Mm-hmm. No, I think he's a great fit for the Thibodeau defense. Not it's... Damian Lillard, but you bring, oh, of course not, but... you bring him in, and then you can use him as a trade piece for Damian Lillard. I still think they'll end up riding him out, see how he does as a second unit type player first. Because Honestly, like... three years left on John Wall's contract, two years on Damian Lillard, that would be the guy that you could trade for the players and the money. Right. I would do that. If John Wall plays well in the system and you're ready to make a splash for Damian Lillard, then you make that trade for Damian Lillard. It seems like Derrick Rose is obviously going to be the starter no matter what, unless Damian Lillard comes in. Probably the one consistent player. He's one consistent player in the playoffs last year. The Knicks have really set that, but everything else is really up in the air just because of how inconsistent Actually, Alec individuals Burks have been as a starter. Because he's been hot now, but I'm saying it consistency-wise the whole year. They Maybe they start guy. Alec Burks. He can handle the ball and he can shoot better than both of them. I love Derrick Rose. I love the way he plays. I did like Kemba Walker. Kemba Walker is my favorite player. He has not looked good as a Nick, and he hasn't been 100% since really he hurt his knee and his ankle with the Boston Celtics. He's one of the best point guards in the league, one of the top five, top six. He's no longer that anymore, and that's because of the injury. And you can see the difference of his game. So it's a shame. As far as the Brooklyn Nets are concerned, 16 and 6, one of the hottest teams in basketball right now, besides the Golden State Warriors and the Suns. By the way, Golden State wins their 13th game at home in a row, knocking off the Suns yesterday, who, by the way, they're bragging about, but Devin Booker's still injured. As far as the Brooklyn Nets are concerned, the MVP of the NBA is Kevin Durant. Averaging 28.6 points a game, 7.6 rebounds a game, and 5.6, which is the most I've ever seen Kevin Durant start off in the season with assists. He's playing defense, he's playing offense, he's leading, and he's passing the ball. It's so unlike him. He's usually the closer, the finisher, not the guy, the facilitator. Well, he's become a facilitator of this team, maybe because Kyrie is no longer right now on the roster. Could you imagine if he comes back this year, you add a superstar player like Kyrie to this team? It's not even fair. Now, the depth is going to be a problem as they move forward into the playoffs. 
but you get Kyrie Irving back, you have a healthy, rejuvenated player. I think this team is going to be one of the harder teams to beat. If they can get Kyrie Irving back, they're my favorites to win the whole thing, Speedy. Yeah, I think they have to be at this point now that they have other guys that you could trust at least somewhat. Yeah, the depth is still not going to be a perfect thing in comparison to other Eastern Conference threats. But I'm not talking about the East. I'm talking about they're my favorites to winning the whole thing. The which, championship. Okay, yeah. If which Kyrie is, Irving comes back. Which is also fair because outside of Golden State and Phoenix, they haven't been great either. Certain other West teams have Utah's been, been better. Too. But the Nets' depth is trustworthy in comparison to what they were supposed to be, and that's a good sign. LaMarcus Aldridge, 13.5 points a game. Joe Harris, 11.3. Patty Mills, 12.7. He's been starting. He's been, He's been starting. If Kyrie Irving does come back, he'll be that kind of depth piece for them, too. And defensively, too, they've been pretty good, too, in comparison to what they were supposed to be. So they're making all the good progressions as the overall team in comparison to just being just a shooting team. The biggest reason for that has obviously been Kevin Durant. I agree with you, is the MVP right now. Oh, in terms by of far. Just a well-rounded, all-around game, defensively, pass ball handling, shooting efficiently, 53.7%, shooting 86.8% free throws. Speedy's averaging more rebounds, more points than Steph Curry, one less assist, and Steph Curry is the point guard of the Golden State Warriors. Enough said. Kevin Durant is the MVP. I don't care if Stephen Curry beat Kevin Durant when they played against one another. When you look at where your team is, your team is in first place, and you're averaging more points, which is Steph Curry's strength, more rebounds, which is another good strength that Steph Curry has, almost the same amount of assists to a point guard. Right. That just tells you how great of a player he is and how dangerous he can be when he's on the court. And the size and the ability. And he actually plays defense, something Steph doesn't do. (laughs) And Steph is getting to that age now. He's forcing more shots and more three-pointers because he doesn't want to go to a hole. He doesn't want to get hurt. He doesn't want to hurt his ankles trying to put the ball in the net. So no offense to Steph Curry, but what we've seen with Kevin Durant, he's by far the MVP. You're talking about 30 votes. I give Kevin Durant 25 out of the 30. You want to give Steph some. You have to give Chris Paul some of the vote. They're going to put the Greek freak there. And if LeBron ever gets the this, Joker's still in there, too, even yeah. though the team's been down, he's been fantastic. Yes. Again. Denver's scary because they make the playoffs. Murray's coming off an ACL injury. Yeah, he'll be back in February. When Murray comes back, that's when that team's going to really take it to the next level. And all they got to do is get into the playoffs with that team. They could be very, very dangerous. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, what do we got? Debate Wars and Crunch Time. Here on the weekend. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, for another show of the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy, the delinquent Petey, and Errol, the beautiful Mark. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. Final segment, Debate Wars. This is the Debate Hour. And now, in this corner, your host, Errol Mars. And in this corner, who gives a sh**? We'll start in the NBA. Better member of the 90s New York Knicks, Charles Oakley or Anthony Mason? I'm going to take Charles Oakley for the defensive prowess a lot more. Anthony Mason, he did a little more with the scoring, but Charles Oakley, between the passing and the defense, I think did a lot more. Two-time defensive player of the year and again, a tough era for those big men. Well-rounded player. I'm going to go with Oakley. No, it was Anthony Mason. Oh, he was a two-way player. Great defensively. He went to Miami, was a dominant defender for Pat Riley. Fantastic player. Big body. Could do everything. Had a weird foul shot. Was successful 
youthful, decent score. I think he was the better overall player for the Knicks, so I'm going to go with Anthony Mason. Who is a better third baseman, Scott Rowland or Aramis Ramirez? I'm going to take Ramirez. I know Rowland played for a long time, was a World Series champion with the Cardinals, but I thought he played on better teams as a whole. Ramirez had good longevity, more RBIs, more home runs in his career, similar in terms of batting average and on base percentage. Ramirez was usually the cleanup hitter, so I'm going to go with Ramirez. I'm going to go with Rowland. I think Scott Rowland was the better overall player. His ability, his defensive prowess, he's one of the best defensive third basemen we've seen in a very long time. A good offensive player, not a great offensive player, but he could do everything. He was just a fantastic player to watch, so I'm going to go with Scott Rowland. Better center so far in their career, Jonathan Taves or Steven Stamkos? I'm going to take Stamkos. His longevity to me is in a little bit better. I know his injuries have caught up to him in recent years, but they've also caught up to Taves. I just don't think Taves has really been the same since he's gotten that contract. He's still a good face-off guy, good defensive player, but Stamkos has been a good face-off guy throughout his career, too. Now winning the two cups, you can't really have the Taves won more cups arguments with that anymore, either, so I'm going to go with Stamkos. I'm going to go with Jonathan Taves. Jonathan Taves is a two-way player. He doesn't get hurt a lot. You look at Steven Stamkos, he hasn't been healthy for the last three years, so he's been consistent. Leader, that whole thing that happened this past year, it really makes him look bad, but his ability to play the game and be the top-line center on that team with some of the great players that they have. And he's won three Stanley Cups. He was a big part of that. So I'm going to go with Jonathan Taylor. Better Johnson, wide receiver. Calvin Johnson or Andre Johnson? I'm going to go with Andre Johnson. I think Calvin Johnson is the more talented of the two, but I think Andre Johnson's longevity, also playing with a lot of bad quarterbacks in his career, also playing with an expansion Texans team. I know the Lions were bad too, but playing for an expansion team, there has to be some level of pressure to that too. And Andre Johnson was fantastic throughout. Even with the Colts, so Andrew Luck had a couple good years too at the end of his career. More receiving yards. Calvin Johnson had more touchdowns, but more catches, more receiving yards. I'm going to go with Andre. It's not even close as Calvin Johnson. One of the more prolific offensive players I've ever seen. When you talk about trying to compare somebody to Jerry Rice, if he played and had the longevity of Jerry Rice, he would have shattered Jerry Rice's records. The ability, the size, the non-bragging rights. He never went out there and, and tried to show people off, never danced, gave the ball to the referee. I loved his work ethic, everything about him. I'm going with CJ, baby. Calvin J, baby. All right, so that will conclude Debate Wars for this week, and now we finish with Crunch Time. It's time for Crunch Time. All right, we're starting college football. Conference championship week. Buy or sell. Georgia will beat Alabama by 14 or more points. I'm going to buy it. I think it's going to be exactly 14 points. My score pick was 34 to 20 for this game. Georgia with their running game. Alabama's run defense has been a little iffy in recent weeks. Their secondary had a lot of trouble big plays. And their offensive line against Auburn was definitely very concerning. And that Georgia front seven, even though without having Adam Anderson, with Jordan Davis being a dominant force on the inside, overall defense, historically good. I will buy it. I'm going to sell that. It's going to be very, very close. I could see a seven-point win. Alabama could surprise the world and beat them because Alabama's that good, so I am going to sell that. Both Kyle Pitts and Rob Gronkowski will have 75-plus receiving yards and a touchdown in their matchup this week. I am absolutely going to buy that. Kyle Pitts is a big matchup nightmare for this Buccaneers defense, which Levante David has been good, but secondary has a lot of injuries. Gronk, he's Gronk. He's going to do what he does best, so I'm going to buy it. I'm selling it. I don't think Gronk will. I do think Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is their number one target. He's been fantastic all season long. Could be rookie of the year, especially in the second half, how well he's played. So I'm going to sell that. So the Islanders on a nine-game losing streak. Buy or sell, we will see them have a nine-game or more winning streak at some point this season. I am buying that. They've been streak-reliant at certain points the last three years. They've had their big stretches at different points in the season. I could definitely see them winning nine games in a row. I'm buying it, too. I think 
Eventually, his team's going to figure it out. He'll get back on track. Might be a little too late, but I do believe that the Islanders are going to make a push forward and be a force later in the season. So I'm going to buy. So one of the other three college football playoff hopefuls, Oklahoma State playing against Baylor, Michigan against Iowa, Cincinnati against Houston. So one of those three will lose in their conference championship game. I'm going to sell that. If there's anyone, maybe it would be Cincinnati, just because of the pressure maybe of getting that group of five team in. But I just think their defense is overall just too good. Houston, even though they have a nice offensive team, isn't as well-rounded. Oklahoma State has a really good defense, which is hard to find in the Big 12. Michigan, they might have a little bit of a letdown early, but I still think they're too talented to not beat Iowa, so I'll sell that. Well, you know what I feel about Michigan? I I think the games are pretty easy, except the Georgia and Alabama game, for the teams that are in the four-team round robin for the championship, the national championship. So I don't think any of the three teams, if Alabama wins, they can move all the way to number one, and Georgia could fall to four. But I'm going to sell that. I don't think any one of those teams are going to lose. Both Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert will have 250-plus passing yards and two-plus touchdowns in this game. I said it was going to be a high-scoring game, but I actually am going to sell it because I think the Bengals are just going to do more on the ground with Mixon. So I don't know if Burrow gets the yards. I think he'll get the touchdowns. I think Mixon is just going to have a huger day, which will keep him just under 250. I think Herbert definitely better will. better might be starting him. I think Mixon t- just steals enough or Burrow doesn't get it, so I'm going to sell it. I'm going to buy it. I think both players are going to play very well. I think both are going to throw 300 yards. I think this is going to be a fun game to watch, especially offensively, so I'm going to buy it. Two out of the three things will happen at the end of the lockout. The universal DH, the robot umpires, and the increase in luxury tax. I'm going to sell it. I think the universal DH is the one thing that will happen. I think the other two is going to happen over a matter of time. I don't know if the increase in the luxury tax is going to happen right away. I think they're going to try to grow the game a little more right after the lockout, and then it'll happen more over time. And the robot umpire is definitely in the future. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to buy it. The way the league is and the way the money is going to prepare the league to gain with the new CBA and new TV deals, I think with the change of the game, it's going to bring some younger fans to watch the game a little bit more because a lot of people think baseball is a little bit boring to watch. So I think with these new changes and adding more money to the salary cap brings more players, more dominance to some of these teams that don't have it. So I'm going to buy it. Mac Jones will have more passing yards than Josh Allen. I'm going to buy that. I don't think either quarterback's going to be great. I think it'll be a low-scoring game. I think Josh Allen will have more scrimmage yards because I think he'll run the ball a lot more. No Tredavious White for the Bills I think is really going to hurt that secondary, especially early in this game. I think he'll figure it out over time. McDermott's a very good coach. They still have a lot of talent on that defense, but this game, I think Mac Jones just edges him out. I am going to sell it. Josh Allen is going to surprise a lot of people, and he's going to torch that secondary this week, especially how good the Patriots are and how they've been the last couple of weeks. They're the best defense in football in almost every single category. I think he's going to go into Buffalo. He's going to show everybody why he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league, so I am going to sell that. Back to college football. So a lot of coaching carousels have happening. So Billy Napier now with Florida, Lincoln Riley now with USC, Brian Kelly now with LSU. Buy or sell. Two out of three of those coaches will make the college football playoff in the first five years with their new team. I am going to sell that. I'm not as crazy about the Lincoln Riley to USC hire as a lot of people think. His offense in the Big 12 was good in certain instances, but again, Big 12 defenses aren't always great. Pac-12 has a lot more competition with those defenses. Brian Kelly doesn't win big games. SEC, good luck with that. And Napier, actually, I think Napier is very underrated. Built a good team with Louisiana, number 24 right now. Always has had a good program in Conference USA. I actually probably give him the best chance, but even that 
with the SEC is going to be very hard, so I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it. It takes a little while for you to recruit. Bringing in a new coach, you've got to stabilize what your team is offensively and defensively. Bringing in Brian Kelly, LSU has always been a very good defensive college. Now you're transitioning it to a more offensive college. With some of these players and some of these teams in position in the SEC, you're bringing a different style of offense to that division. So I'm going to sell that. Marcus Gasol, now back in his team in Spain, but didn't say he's not going to rule out an NBA return. Buy or sell, we will see him make an NBA return. I'll buy it. I know he mentioned he's very passionate about playing in his country, but we see a lot of these veteran guys get veteran minimums and try again one more time. So I could see even a team like the Lakers take him back. He was a big part of that championship run. I'll buy it. I'm selling it. There's no way he's coming back. He's old. He was raggedy last year. That's why he lost his job to uh, another old man. I don't see Marcus Gasol coming back, and even if a team does bring him back, I'd be very surprised because he's not the same player ever since he got hurt a couple of years ago. So I'm going to sell it. There you go. Debate Wars, crunch time. I want to give a shout-out to the Islander fans that are staying in touch with us, listening to us after the Islander game. I want to give a shout-out to all the fans. Shout-out to Garrett Price, Dynasty Nerds, Fantasy Pros. Thank you for joining us. Great when it comes to fantasy. Fantastic interview. And definitely check it out if you've missed the interview. We will be back next week with new guests and new sports conversation. Speedy, do you have anything to say before we go? Thank you for everyone who's reached out to me following the loss of my grandfather. And all shows on the Sports Loud Mouse and the Weekend Crunch will be dedicated to him from now on. One of the most inspirational men anyone will ever meet. Absolutely. We'll be back next week. Stay tuned for the next show. Until then, this is Errol Marks and Speedy the Man Beatty saying goodnight and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody.